This is the Jaguars Broadcast Week in Review podcast presented by TIAA Bank. And it's Monday, March 6th. This is a special NFL scouting combine edition. I'm J.P. Shadrick with the best of the week from Indianapolis last week on Jags Radio, Jaguars.com, and our social channels, Jaguars Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks for listening on Jaguars.com through the podcast link at the top of the homepage or on the official Jaguars podcast network. That's on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download pods. And of course, we love feedback, so leave us a comment and a five-star rating. Big news from Monday, wide receiver Calvin Ridley has been reinstated by the NFL and tight end Evan Ingram reportedly has been franchise tagged. More on both players and their impact for the Jaguars moving ahead coming up. Let's begin with the Jaguars brass at the Combine last week. GM Trent Baalke and head coach Doug Peterson spoke with the media Tuesday and then visited our set on Radio Row. Bulky shared his thoughts about the Combine as a GM and the moving of money to create salary cap space. What does the Combine mean to you as a GM? I know a lot of GMs aren't crazy about it because it sort of sends guys up and down boards that don't really exist, if you will. But uh, how do you assess the Combine? What do you try to get out of it? Uh, well, you try to get as much as you can, obviously. And, you know, I think everybody places a different importance on different things. Uh, you know, you, you, it is what it is. You, you take the information and you, you compile it with all the other information you got. And, and uh, we're a big film-based evaluating uh, system. So, you know, we're going to take the film and look at the film and, and then take all the other parts and kind of piece it together with the film. But uh, at the end of the day, the film's what matters to us. Do guys really rise and fall here or not? Oh, I think they do. Okay. You know, let's be honest. I think that through history, guys have come here and, and moved up the ladder quite a bit. And there's guys that have come here and, and not done well and fell off a little bit. But, you know, you, you take it for what it's worth. I, you know, I've never put too much into it and just try to use it as a tool. Trent, this is also the time of year where business, you know, there's plenty of business to attend to for the Jaguars and going into the start of the league year, salary cap considerations. There's reports earlier this week that there's been money moved around, a few different contracts, some of the big names to create some space, and there are still pending free agents out there. So let's start with that part, the, the last part of that equation. Everybody's worried, you know, worried and wondering about Evan Ingram and the right tackle, Jawan Taylor. What's the latest with those two? And I know there's a couple weeks left to get something done. Well, we're, we've just really begun the negotiating phase with both of them. Uh, we met with their agents, meeting with their agents today, met with Juwan's agent this morning, and we're just talking through things. we got a window here before free agency actually opens to try to close these deals. You know, Doug and I have talked, uh, ownership, Sean, and the three of us have talked. Very important for us to keep our core players together. But it's got to make sense for both sides. It's got to be a win-win, and we've told that to the to the players. Uh, but we strongly believe in keeping this group together. And I think the actions that we've taken over the last week, week and a half, are going to allow us to do that or at least put our best foot forward. Do you feel good about those actions? Uh, you've always got to balance the now versus the future as a GM. You feel good about where you've gotten the cap as you go or as you approach to March 15th? Yeah, we're, we're in good shape from a cap standpoint. Uh, you know, we met with ownership. We reviewed the plan that we, we put out. And, uh, you know, the coaching staff and the personnel staff have met over the last couple of weeks to really hammer out what's best for us today and as we move into the future. And, and really, it's that collaboration, the willingness of our ownership to step up and do what we needed to do financially to make this, this all come to fruition 
uh, we still got a lot of work to do. We got to finish the the race, if you will. So that's where we're at right now. That's where it comes when you're moving money back into the future. <laughs> Ownership's got to be involved, right? They've got to pull the trigger on that. Well, they do. They, you know, this organization has never really pushed money into the future. Uh, one of two teams that haven't done that, and and we're moving that direction. Uh, but we, y- you still got to do it with respect to the dollar, right? It's it's got to make sense. You don't want to just go out there and make bad deals. And again, I go back to win-win. There's there there's a there's a win in it for both sides. You just got to find out what that number is and what the length of that contract's going to be. For head coach Doug Peterson, getting back in the office and reviewing how the Jags made the playoff run was key. When you get back in the office, how much do you look back at what happened, especially in the second half of the season, your self-evaluation, self-scout? What what stood out in a good and, and maybe not so good way about your team last season? You know, I think it's, it's definitely my job to look at kind of the whole big picture, right, from, from as I say, soup to nuts, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's everything. And uh, uh, how we started, how we finished, right? And you always want to be finishing – faster and stronger at the end of the year than, than when you started. So for me as the head coach, I think that's what I have to I have to focus on and look at as we're breaking down our schemes again, right, in the offseason. So all three phases, all the coordinators, coaches are looking at schemes. How can we be better? How can we be more efficient? Um, and, and then, you know, for me personally, just how this young football team embrace the things that I was teaching them, you know, what I was kind of preaching in the team settings and the team meetings, how we overcame some adversity. Um, we had a bad, bad mid part of our season there where we didn't win a game for five or six weeks and, you know, but the guys never wavered. And, and so that's the, that's the part that, that, uh, you know, I think as we look ahead, uh, to 23, that we can really kind of hang our hats on. We kind of focus on, and um, you know, build upon those. Even though we have to get better as a football team, and we understand that, but uh, a lot of lot of positives. I know you didn't love October, but yeah, but no. uh, but in in retrospect, um, could that be a good thing for this team moving forward? That it it learned from that and learned how to withstand that and showed that it could. I, I think I think it's great. I, I do think that it's something we can learn from. It, you know, it, it other than the Detroit game, which was a little bit later, we didn't get blown out of those games. Those were like one score games. So th- there's a lot of encouragement there. There's a lot of things that if we just like, this is what I kept telling our football team: if we just take care of these little details, hang on to the football. You know, let's not make these types of mistakes. We got to finish better. Whatever it was for that particular week, let's clean that up, and we're going to be fine as we move down move down the, the the schedule you know and and so that that was a positive and it's going to be a positive as we continue to build the last time we were sitting at this table we were talking about culture a lot this time last year and it was so important to build that even beyond the playoff run i would think you've got to be thrilled with how that sits right now and what you're able to get done in that direction i am thrilled i'm i'm happy where the where the team is you know not only how we finish but you know, we we've built that foundation, mm-hmm. that that culture foundation. You know, and and I think I think the past is behind us, and and there's a lot of exciting times in in front of us, and and uh, we've got the right pieces, we got the right leadership. You know, coaches, players, you know, front office staff, Trent Balky and his guys, um, and 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 great ownership and and Shad that you know being able to give us the resources we need to continue the success that we started this season, and. Um, 
you know, nothing is. I learned this a long, long time ago. Nothing's ever going to be handed to us. We got to go out and earn it. You got to earn respect uh, in this league, and I think we're still trying to earn that respect just a little bit. Moving on to Jags Drive Time Wednesday on Radio Row. NFL media columnist Judy Batista discussed the competition committee conversation about some possible rule changes. Earlier this week, you've been following the competition committee conversation. The big votes come up from the owners at the annual meeting later in March. Of course, that's down the line in Arizona. John, I think you'll be there for that for Jaguars.com. But, you know, it's a lot of quarterback-centric things, as is the case. It's the NFL. Let's start with this push play on the sneak. I mean, I saw this in a Penn State game this year, Purdue-Penn State up the road here at West Lafayette, and they lined up in the T formation, and three guys pushed him into the end zone. Touchdown. And we started seeing that more and more in the NFL. The Eagles especially were well-known for that. There's a little bit of uh, uneasiness with that because how do you defend it? And that's got to be part of the conversation. Well, I think there's an uneasiness just on an aesthetic level, like, this doesn't look very like this looks like a rugby play right like this doesn't really look like the nfl and then there is an uneasiness first of all on the injury front like this can't be good you know that defenses are going to go to school this offseason on how to stop it and i mean let's face it the way to stop it is going to be like you put your defensive tackles in there tight and you have your linebackers push against yikes so you're going to have the most important member of the franchise sandwiched between like you know getting pushed on both sides i don't I don't know that they're going to outlaw it, though, because I think there is a feeling of, like, well, stop it. As soon as a defense stops it, it will out, right? And then they will come up with other things to do. I know offensive coaches don't want to lose the play because they think you can do other stuff out of that formation. You sort of show that and then pitch it, maybe, whatever you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So the Jags did that in the playoffs. Uh, right. I don't know if they will outlaw it, but, I mean, I, there's certainly a lot of conversation around well, that play. Well, I didn't play. cover this, but back in the early 1900s, Teddy <laughs> Roosevelt outlawed the flying wedge, if you remember. Right. Um, I don't remember, but I, I pretend to remember. But it, it strikes me, there was a time 20, 25 years ago where you couldn't push the runner. Uh, and it sort of came back, and the Eagles, to their credit, Mm-hmm. has sort of taken advantage of the thing that was allowed. But I don't remember when it was outlawed, I mean, uh, when it was brought back in. But I know when I was a kid covering games or uh, a kid watching games, you could not push the runner from behind. So I don't think it would be very hard for them to outlaw the play. Uh, and I think they will mainly because of the aesthetics. And as you say, Judy, the safety with eventually creating right. a situation where you have 11-on-11 that's why they outlawed the onside kick, or not outlawed, but changed the onside kick rule, was because of that point of contact and the danger. I think eventually this play will go uh, in some capacity, by the way, that either limiting how many people can push or something. Uh, it just doesn't feel like they'll allow it. I don't love legislation that outlaws plays. Uh, I think you get into a gray area there. But I think they will outlaw this one in some capacity. Yeah, I'm curious to see. They said after the first day of meetings that that was – like one of the primary topics of conversation like they spent a lot of time going back and forth on that and they want to keep looking at it um and i i think going into the march meeting is when they'll have a long conversation with the other owners because 
it also just doesn't look very good, and yeah. like that's important. That matters in a league that scores forty points a game. Right. I mean, you're you're lining up. I would also guys. add this: even if they don't outlaw it, the first time a quarterback gets injured doing it will be yeah. the last time we see it called. Well, that leads into our next conversation, and it's the possible return of the emergency quarterback rule, <laughs> right? I mean, up until 2010, league required teams to designate but, an emergency can quarterback. Can we just be clear? You could always have three quarterbacks. You could you have can. five quarterbacks, six. You can do whatever you want. Use yeah. your roster the way you want. Um, but after we saw what happened in the playoff game with the Niners, which was obviously very unfortunate where they literally did not have a quarterback. It was um, one team, though. One team. I'm not sure that they're going to go back to that. I mean, there was a reason that they, you know, lots of teams only want to car- only want to have two active. And that's the risky one. And that's the risky right. one. I mean, that's the calculation. You you make the decision, head coach. Yeah, um, you want to use your roster. I don't think they should mandate how teams allot their roster i think you've got to at some point the team's responsible for yeah putting right. their players on the field here's right. 53 you guys figure, figure it, it out. out right and you figure it out the consequences if you think you're so smart <laughs> and can carry two and you guys which, get which hurt most it's on teams you. do right. right most teams have gone that way to get an extra player in there but i mean after you know that was sort of the cautionary tale after we saw what happened there maybe a change one more to uh, discuss here, and it's the possibility of making roughing the passer reviewable. This, to me, harkens back to the pattern of fairness reviewable. That lasted one year because it's a judgment call, and, you, you know, you can't regulate all that as well. What do you think, Judy? Yeah, that's exactly how the competition committee feels, too. They do not want to go down that path. That year was not pleasant for them. That was, I mean, they... Remember, they sort of, I don't want to use the word bullying, but they sort of got bullied into Mm -hmm. making it reviewable. The competition committee had real concerns about making pass interference reviewable. The coaches wanted it. They sort of talked them into it at the league meeting. Big meeting. And they said, oh, we can do this. And uh, it was a mess. It was a year-long headache for them, and it disappeared right afterwards. And I think the competition committee feels like you're going down the same path. It's a judgment call. What they really want is things to be called, and this does, is not just roughing the passer, this is all calls. They want more consistency across all of the officiating crews so that what one crew calls roughing the passer is the same as what this crew calls and this crew over here. That's what they really want is just consistency. Later in the show, NFL media analytics expert Cynthia Freeland joined us with the possible next wave of analytics with player and scheme development. I hope we stop hearing things on broadcast that are like, the analytics say to go for it. Like, it drives me nuts because that's actually not true. Okay. Um, that's like that's what I want to do. I want to like be the person to be like, okay, if you do this in past games, it's worked three quarters of the time. Doesn't mean it's the right decision now because was your right tackle beat up? Was your quarterback just sacked three times? Did, like, what's going like? But, you know, you can. So let's just talk about it in like, this is why they may be thinking this. Now, putting into play different like installs. So during the week, the, the week has changed. They're trying to optimize for things like load, which by the way, sports performance analytics have probably the furthest place that they still could go, but they've come really far okay. too, which is great. Keep me healthier, keep me, you know, more able to do my job and also like keep me good for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Awesome. These are all great things that have come from analytics, right? Big data. So the reality is is, you know, you're going to change your week. And so now we're practicing more fourth down situations. And so it's not just like haphazard, go for it. Like that's not what it is. Do you have the fourth down play when you've seen, uh, you know, cover three, six times in a row? I don't have the answer to that, but your coach does. Right. So the, so the reality is, is it it just, it's a, it's a way of staying organized and trying to use your assets, AKA your players to beat my assets 
in the best way possible. Has Get the biggest return on investment. Has a coach ever blamed you for <laughs> everything? Uh, yes. For going for something I, when he really didn't want to. I'm sure that happens. <laughs> Luckily, I've never been in that situation. Right. Um, but I will say that I did. There was one coach who I called out for not. He's like, don't you let I go for it on fourth. And I'm like, you are going for it in ridiculous situations. You just want to be known as the fourth down coach. And he's like, well, isn't that analytics? I'm like, no. Oh, okay. It's all about context. Right. So if then. Right. Like you're not going to build more trucks if everybody's not buying them. Right. Right. So make the decisions to, you know, figure out what you have and, and make the right It's decision making. Right. If you can get 10 percent better at your there's 70 snaps in a football or 70 right. plays in a football game. That's seven plays. How many games have come down to seven plays? The answer is a lot. Most. Right. right? So if you can get 10 percent better, if you can make the quality of those seven, that's a huge improvement. Cynthia Freeland with us, and a coach who knows that very well is Doug Peterson. I mean, the guy was the, the, he was the fourth Eleven. down coach before Eleven. all these other fourth down. He's coaches. not the one who yelled at me because he actually okay. a guy who works on your staff now, who I think is one of if not like his name is Ryan Paganetti, and I have to say I'm Italian, but Paganetti you can't say it the other way. But anyway, so he he does a really good job of explaining how the fourth down should work because and Doug was not the one who got mad at me for that. He was not. It was another one. He's out in California, and you may have beaten him in a most epic comeback. Okay, but fine. Yep. Anyway, so it wasn't It wasn't. Ah. Doug. Okay. That <laughs> narrows, it down. <laughs> narrows it down a little bit. <laughs> Jags Drive Time airs Tuesday mornings in the offseason on Jaguars.com. The 2023 season is on the horizon, and you won't want to miss it. Lock in your seats at the bank this fall and place your deposit at Jaguars.com slash tickets. Seat selection is coming soon, and the perfect spot is waiting for you. Don't watch the Jags become kings of the jungle from your couch. Join the Jaguars now. In a moment, Greg Cosell on Trevor Lawrence's development. Charles Davis discusses the Jaguars' offensive weapons plus the strategy toward Evan Ingram and Jawan Taylor from Pete Prisco. All that after this. Jags fans, fill your wallet with one debit card that screams Duval exclusively from TIAA Bank. The Jacksonville Jaguars Visa Debit Card comes with a fierce look and fantastic features so you can pay with pride wherever you go. And it's yours free when you open a Yield Pledge checking account. Up your financial game today. Visit a financial center near you or find us at TIAABank.com slash JagsCard. TIAA Bank is a division of TIAA, FSP, member FDIC, and the official bank of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Welcome back to the Jaguars Broadcast Weekend Review Podcast presented by TIAA Bank, a special Combine edition. The 2023 concert season is here, and there's no better time to become a Daily's Place Blue member. Enjoy the best seats and amenities, premium parking, and more. And you'll watch Kenny Chesney, Old Dominion, Yellow Card, and many more acts on the schedule this spring. For more information, email ticketing at boldevents.com or call 904-633-2000. We continue with a podcast conversation with NFL Films senior producer Greg Cosell and his thoughts on the development of quarterback Trevor Lawrence. I learned years and years ago from Dick Vermeil, and he said that when you draft a quarterback number one, the entire organization, and he's talking about the janitors, he's talking about everybody in the organization, the objective has to be to make that guy a great player. And clearly that was the approach they took this year. Um, Unfortunately for uh, Trevor Lawrence, people talked about him as a generational talent when he came out, and that put an unfair burden on him because he's not really – there's very few generational talents, as you know. Um, And then they saw what he was, and they worked with him, and they they did some really good things with him that helped. 
they he needed to be sped up. He was very deliberate in everything he did. He's a, he's a big kid who's a long strider. So you need to shorten his strides. You need to quicken his drop, quicken his set, quicken his delivery. And when you combine that with the nature of the offense, which is more quick rhythm throws, that had to all work together. And they did a masterful job with that. And Lawrence was obviously a very willing student. And, you know, the thing about Trevor Lawrence that also works with all this is Lawrence is very good at picking up concepts. And that's really important. He's the kind of kid that you can go through concepts with him and he picks it up quickly. And then he understands it. And then you can build off those concepts. Because the pass game is about concepts. Um, you get to the concepts in, in different ways, different personnel packages, different formations, but it's about the concept. And he's very good, very smart at picking that up and then taking it to the field. So it was a really good mix of coaching staff um, and quarterback. And obviously we know that if your quarterback plays at a high level and you have a good one, your chance of winning games improves dramatically. And that's basically what happened in Jacksonville on that side of the ball, clearly. Last week, we also caught up with CBS Sports, NFL Network, and Sirius XM analyst Charles Davis discussing the quarterback and the offensive weapons available. All right, you mentioned it, 27 nothing down in the playoffs. First off, they rallied to get to the playoffs, yes. which was remarkable enough anyway. The quarterback started playing better, didn't turn it over. Defense took the ball away. They, they beat the Titans. They won the division. And then they're down 27. There's no way. There's no chance. But the quarterback had the mindset to, to work himself out of that. Mm -hmm. That's special. That, does, special. that doesn't grow on trees. It's special. Obviously, his makeup is, is incredible. But don't forget his head coach at halftime. Yeah. Okay, he goes to the obligatory halftime interview, and he could have been slumped. He could have been a little despondent. He could have been, well, it was a heck of a year, and, you know, just for us to get here, and let's see if we can just play, you know, hard in the second half. He had support for that quarterback and still believed in him. And while he saw it all happen, he didn't let it affect him like, okay, I'm going to change everything we do. We just have to play better. This kid's all right. It's amazing when you put all that together. What Jacksonville did in one season's time, what Doug Peterson and his staff did in assessing what they were getting coming in in terms of how to relate to players and what players needed from them to start it all off. You and I saw each other in the summer. Absolutely. And we had a conversation about yeah, that. And you told me that process had started already. This staff knew what they were doing in terms of you can't just come in. And rah, 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 rah. That's not what that team needed. They that needed team some needed. Love. They needed some. Hey, they they needed a chance to trust this new team. And they did all of that. Now you put it all together and. They've been accumulating talent. It wasn't just last year's draft. They've been accumulating talent for a while, and it's all paid off. Charles Davis with us. So, all right, um, here comes Calvin Ridley. Mm -hmm. uh, Evan Ingram, they've, they've been talking still. We'll see what that happens in the next couple of weeks. You bring Ridley in on top of Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram, and if they draft another tight end, I mean, this is an offense. All of a sudden, you're adding different pieces. What would Ridley do for this offense, and what would it open up for all the rest of those guys? Yeah, I think you just nailed it. What will it open up? You yeah. know, Ridley, if he comes back the way you would expect him to come back, if we see the Ridley that we saw before he had to take his sabbatical from football, you'll see the speed. You'll also see an ability to make plays. He's not just a speedster who runs downfield. Hey, look at me. Look over here so these guys can run routes. If you don't go cover him, he's going to beat you right he's going to make plays and he's not simply a go ball guy he can do other things as well so now you open up things now if you're having ingram obviously as you pointed out professional football money makes a difference and all but my goodness 
all things being equal, where, why would you want to be anywhere else? You just had the best year of your career. You have a young quarterback there. You got a coaching staff that believes in you. If you don't think this is the place to be, well, if someone comes with a crazy offer, I get all that. I'm not, I don't deal with people's money. That's their issue. I said it, I'll say it again, all things being equal. This is the spot for him where he can continue to blossom. That was the Evan Ingram that, every, that the Giants drafted. First round guy. That's, That's that was the it. guy that they drafted. And he can, he will continue to get better because everyone else will get better on offense around him. And it's nice to see ETN be a running back. Yeah. I left him off the list. But, 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 but that slot receiver thing, what were they thinking? What was going on? I mean, come on, man. That was man. a past regime. That was a couple of I, I know, but back. what were you yeah. thinking? You, did you watch his tape at Clemson? He wasn't that guy. And by the way, yeah. slot receivers grow on trees. There are a lot of okay. them out there. They're available. Great running backs don't grow on trees. So I'll stop there. There you have it. Both the Cosell and Davis pods on the official Jaguars podcast network. Let's wrap with three guests from Jaguars Happy Hour Radio Thursday. We start with head team physician for the Jaguars, Kevin Kaplan from Jacksonville Orthopedic Institute, explaining the medical evaluation process at the Combine. The most important part of the Combine experience for these players is the medical evaluation, and certainly for the teams that want to get exposed to these players and see what's really going on, that's where you, you and your staff come in so take us through the process like is there a room are there multiple rooms do the players roll through do you get to just cherry pick guys i mean how does that work for the physician yeah i mean i'm sure you know this the way this whole nfl combine really started was medical mm -hmm. right the doctors were saying hey we're bringing guys in we don't know anything about them you know and so can you tell us what their medical risk is and that's how this whole thing started and then the running the jumping all that kind of followed suit so the way it works is there are rooms of, of physicians. It, our room has been the same, at least ever since I've been around. It's the same group of guys. So it's us, the Titans, the Jets, the Chargers, and the Bengals. So you're, you're very familiar with the guys that are in your room. Uh, and every single player that's here you know, at the Combine comes to that room. Hmm. Uh, and so they'll bring them in one by one. There's a, a kind of a pre-Combine screen where they talk to the players uh, get an, an idea of their medical history. And so they gather information from the time they were in high school playing football. Through, I mean, even before that, guys have had injuries when they were five and six years old that are on their injury report. Really? Uh, every piece of information you can gather is there. So a lot of scans, x-rays, MRIs, CT scans are done before we even get here. So they bring a player in one by one. There'll be a presentation. The player will be there on the exam table. Uh, and they'll present the player to us and say, this is what, you know, who the player is. These are the injuries he's had. And then they'll go through the examination and say, you know, and his shoulder's stable. His knee's got a little swelling to it. His incisions are healed, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then we're free to get up and, and feel and, and get a you know look. There's certain guys that we're looking at specifically. But you want to have an overall look because you know how it is through the year. They're always working the back end of that roster. So they may not, the, the Jaguars may not be interested in a player today but that guy may come to you as a free agent you know three months from now so you get a good idea of, of that player so you take notes on everybody or at least i do and then you know when it comes time to grading the player i have a grading scale because i want to be able to easily relay the information to trent and to doug and, and to ferg and say this guy is this level of risk you know and there's it's a every team has a different scale ours is one to five you know yeah. the ones where the healthiest guys typically are the, the punters and kickers that come in mm -hmm. you know it's just the way it works and fives is a fail, and it's very rare to fail someone orthopedically. Those are typically the, the medical, the heart stuff. So then I go back home, make sure I've reviewed all the MRIs, and then we have a medical meeting where we go through every guy that they're interested on their board as a, is there a medical risk there and what is the medical risk. 
Also on the show, Kirk Morrison, former Jags linebacker and now host on Sirius XM NFL Radio and an ESPN college football analyst. Everyone kind of gets the State of the Union address for yeah. each franchise. Yeah. You know, general manager, head coach, they come out and talk, and you're sort of recapping last season because now we have time for everyone to sort of re, you know, evaluate what happened. And now what do we need to look forward to? And everybody sees, hey, this is what you guys need to improve on. You guys got to go get a receiver. You got to go get a you know, running back, a linebacker, defensive end. And so it's always fun to come to Indy and get the sort of the state of the union of where the team is at. They won't tell you who they're going to pick, but obviously how do you feel about certain players on your roster as we also get ready to hit free agency? Yeah, there's a little bit too, obviously, that it's the first time most media has talked to most of these guys yes. since they've been in the bunker and really looked back on what they really did. You know, you know, They look at tape week to week, <laughs> but they started to do a deep dive of what they need, and then they come out, Kirk, and they tell you nothing. <laughs> <laughs> a whole so bunch of nothing, it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the stories I write from here are always, yeah, there's a pretty good lead, and then they'll say, yeah, right. we need to get better at X, but then they really never go into very much, which you don't expect. Right, but that's, right, right. that's sort of the dog and pony show, if you will. Kirk? Not every player who's been with the Jaguars in the last 20 years has great memories. Yes, I do. But I know your 2010 season that yeah. you spent with them. Tell me just the best memory you have of that season. Because uh, that was an underrated season. I think a lot of fans have forgotten how good that team was or almost was. Uh, that team was the, the best team that I've actually played on in the National Football League. I played eight years in the league, and that 2010 team was uh, – was when I still have lifelong friendships from mm -hmm. playing one year in Jacksonville, and I was so upset I wanted to play a lot, lot, lo a lot longer um, because not only did I being able to embrace the Jacksonville community, the people, uh, the fan base, it was so fun. And David Garrard was an exceptional quarterback. He played outstanding that year. Uh, Josh Scobie. You know, mm -hmm. Scobie, Scobie Bryant, you know, yeah. I used to call him, <laughs> uh, because he was just automatic that year. He had, I think he kicks how many in a row. Uh, he was outstanding. But Maurice Jones drew a guy mm -hmm. who, you know, we grew up in the same area in Northern California. Yeah, you guys are tight from yeah. kid. Yeah. And so to be able to be on a team with him and to think that Mercedes Lewis and the career that he had a career He's year. still playing. Until, until playing. <laughs> it's unreal. Right? He had a career year, you know, a career year, Pro Bowl year for him in 2010. Uh, and the coaches, obviously Jack Del Rio, but you see some of the other coaches and what they've been able to do that were on that staff. Corey Unland has been uh, an outstanding coach. You look at some of the uh, the offensive mind, Todd Monken, mm -hmm. who is now uh, the offensive yeah. coordinator in, in, in Baltimore. Yep. He was the receivers coach. Right? Yep. And so you had all of these, I mean, uh, head coach of Michigan State. Right was yeah, uh, Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker. Tucker. Yep. He yeah. was our D coordinator. So I had all of these offensive minds and people who are around us, and I'm saying, "Wow, this is unbelievable." But it was such a, a good season. I wish we could have finished it off. We went eight and eight. We mm -hmm. had an opportunity, but still, Peyton Manning was Peyton Manning, right? And we had a game that allowed us, if we beat, you know, the Indianapolis Colts uh, in week, I believe it was 13 at the mm -hmm. time, we win the division. And we, we lose that matchup, and we didn't finish the job down the stretch, and so we lost. But, 
Man, you mentioned it. One of the great seasons that I know I've had a chance to play in my career. And finally, CBS Sports senior writer Pete Prisco. Tight end Evan Ingram and right tackle Jawan Taylor are the priorities as the new league year approaches. Well, Evan Ingram wasn't going anywhere, no matter what. They were trying. They probably still are trying to get a deal done with him. If they can't get the deal, All right? Done this could with be a placeholder, right? To tag. If, if they don't get the deal done with him, but if they don't get the deal done with him before they even put because the, they haven't officially put the tag Correct. on him yet, there's, they're going to do it one way or the other. He will be in Jacksonville next year, no matter what. But if they get him tagged, um, then maybe what do you do with uh, with you know Jawan Taylor personally? And and I said that to them. I would not let Jawan Taylor out the door. He's too valuable. This is an offensive team. You have a franchise quarterback. Make sure the offense is every bit as good as it can be. And by keeping Jawan Taylor there, I think, and Evan Ingram there, and you add Ridley to the equation, and by the way, I hear nothing but good things about his ability to work out. He's supposedly flying around in his workouts. Then all of a sudden, your offense is pretty much set. You need a big banger back, but aside from that, you're pretty much set there. Well, they were 10th in the league in offense last year. And really spent the first seven or eight games trying to figure out where they were, and then they got you know. So I anticipate what you're talking about them being. I think it'll be a top three or four offense next year based on that. And I agree. I don't think they want to let Jawan Taylor out the door. I think there will be a point, you know, as with any number, that it might get too big for him. Uh, I don't think you can necessarily say we can't let him out the door at any price. And that's a matter of how Drew wants to come in. And if Drew really wants to get him in free agency, it's going to be tough. Yeah, it will be tough. And particularly, if, you know, some teams look at it. That there's a desperation for offensive linemen, which might drive up his price. I mean, I did a top 100 ranking of the linemen, and I think he was seventh. I mean, of, of the players, I think I had him seventh. That's how much I feel about of his Of all growth. players. Yeah. Okay. That's how much I feel about his growth this year. I mean, he was that good. I, I'd find a way to keep him. Because if you don't keep him, then what are your options? You're, you're out there move, looking for another one. Or you're moving – one of those guys to right tackle, right. Walker Little proved he couldn't play right tackle. At least it didn't look like he could. So I think that's a problem. So keep this offense. This is an offensive team. Don't weaken it. And if you weak, if you go in, let's just say you keep all those guys. Yeah, you got three tackles. Guys go down in this league, too. Mm-hmm. We've seen that before. And if you don't, one of them maybe can play left guard. And, you know, probably would be Walker Little who would play left guard. Then all of a sudden you have a giant offensive line big offensive line around that quarterback. So that's what I would do. And and I think they're smart. They realize what they're going to do. And, and I think they'd love to keep them and keep it intact and build it around Trevor Lawrence. But we'll see. It's hard to do when you have cap problems. And, of course, since that conversation, Ingram has been franchise tagged as of Monday, March 6th. And we'll see what happens with Taylor before the March 15th start of the league year, if anything. That will do it. Coming up this week, the Ozone Podcast from Indy with Peter King of NBC Sports and Maurice Jones-Drew of NFL Media. Enjoy the week, and thanks for listening. I'm J.P. Shadrick. We'll catch you next week on the Jaguars Broadcast Weekend Review Podcast presented by TIAA Bank.